All right, guys, today's episode is going to be just a little bit different. We are going to veer off the path of the conscious down into the wilderness of philosophy, unconscious powers, and the mystical. Now, if you've been listening to me for a while, I hope I've established enough trust to keep you engaged long enough to make the point that I'm driving at. I am a student of the human mind, but much more than that, I am a student of life itself. Life is mind, and much like the mystics and philosophers that have gone before us, we need to look past what the surface level of nature is in order to obtain any true level of wisdom. The intellect is what separates us from the animals. Without proper development of that resource, we are fundamentally no different than any other creature to inhabit this ecosystem. But the intellect, the rational mind, as powerful as it is, is only a fragment of the big picture. The unconscious mind, after all, makes about 95% of our decisions for us throughout the day. Now, is this because the unconscious is a separate entity, a higher power, um, guiding and directing our lives for better or worse? Well, yes and no. The same consciousness animates both aspects of our being. That consciousness is fragmented and separated by various levels of awareness. The unity of the conscious and unconscious mind results in the integration of the human being as a whole. It is a powerful transformation that unleashes the full force of our potential. So that's what we're striving for is that, that unity. Now, every creation story contains a similar thread of reasoning. Mankind, the human race, existed in a state of perfection and power, but then there was a fall from grace resulting in our modern condition of suffering, violence, and despair. As the story goes, Adam and Eve ate the fruit from the tree of knowledge at the bidding of the serpent, obtaining knowledge and understanding, therefore becoming like the gods, which apparently didn't sit well with the rulers of that era. The awakening of humans resulted, paradoxically, in a great fall. This act of the human consciousness being torn apart was the Pandora's box that introduced the concept of suffering. That suffering likely already existed, but now humans had the intelligence to recognize it. The power of this story, as in any other story, is the symbolism. Stories are never true, but they contain the essence of truth. The value of the story is lessons we learn at an unconscious level. A child doesn't need to understand the morals of a story, but will act in accordance with any character that they identify with. The human consciousness was elevated to that of the gods, and as a result, those higher powers cursed the entire race. We were separated from the spiritual powers inherent in all of us. Our conscious mind was developed, but in the process, that great unconscious was pushed into the background. The symbolic separation between mankind and the higher forces of nature is encapsulated in the rift between our rational and conscious minds. Now, in reality, there is no separation, only broken lines of communication. This latent power in all of us is always active, always within our reach. We've learned to ignore this force of nature and in doing so have perpetuated our fall from grace. In every creation story, humans always have the power to rival that of the gods. The potential of our race as a threat to the immortals can be found in every mythology, every religion, and every tradition. This idea is ubiquitous in the old traditions, but seems to have been lost sometime during the rise of the Catholic Church. My point is not to minimize the value of anybody's religious beliefs or anything like that. I'm just pointing out the hidden symbolism in these stories, at least some of it. Now these, by the way, are stories that are retold across every culture and every race, albeit through the lens of various times and dispositional factors. The separating of the conscious and unconscious mind is our fall from grace, and our salvation lies in the unity of our full potential. The kingdom of heaven lies within us, as does the kingdom of hell. The goal of these traditions is not to die and to be joined into these states, but to create them right here, right now. The unity of the conscious and unconscious mind creates tremendous power. You've heard me say this a hundred times by now, so say it with me. The unconscious mind does not communicate with language, it communicates through symbols and emotions. 
to open up those lines of communication between the conscious and unconscious requires us to learn how to speak the language of the unconscious. We like to blame that part of ourselves for everything that's wrong in our lives, but that's really not fair. We say that we'd like to develop better habits and make smarter decisions and change our lives, but the way we communicate with the aspect of ourselves responsible for making those changes is telling a very different story. If you only speak English and you take a trip to a small uh, countryside village in Japan, for example, you wouldn't blame the locals for not understanding you, would you? You'd understand that they don't know what the hell you're saying. You might get frustrated that charades is your best way of communication, but you don't get mad at the locals for not knowing what it is you want. And what's more, if you do get mad, the locals may think you're angry with them and they don't understand the words you're saying, but they definitely understand the emotions, right? Those are universal. The problem is that this is how we communicate with ourselves. We try speaking to the unconscious in a language that it doesn't understand. Then we get frustrated and then we don't get the results we want. And then we direct those negative feelings of anger and whatever else towards it. All the unconscious can pick up on are those negative feelings, but that's what it internalizes. It thinks that that's what we want, so it gets to work manifesting the negative in our external reality by the decisions that it makes and the feelings it expresses. So what does this mean practically? Well, to start with, we need to realize something very important. We need to understand that since our conscious mind is only 5% of who we are, we cannot rely solely on our intellect. That little sliver of who we are is not going to overpower the other 95% in a battle of wills. When I was new to surfing, I used to get really frustrated by how difficult it could be to move the board around through the waves. The ocean is a force of nature, and it's going to overpower you. Sometimes I get so irritated that I would try to force my way through the oncoming waves in like a desperate attempt to, to just get, get past to where they were breaking, right? Needless to say, that was always a very futile and exhausting endeavor. The waves would just keep coming, and even if I did hold my ground against the smaller waves, I had no effect on the rest of that that wave, it was only that one spot, right? So the unconscious is the same. We can try to use sheer willpower to make a stand against it, but if we're fighting against the ocean, we're screwed. We're going to tire out and those waves are not gonna stop coming. Instead, we need to learn to work with the ocean. Once you get in tune with the water, surfing's really easy. It's more intuitive than anything else. You get a sense for what's happening around you and you, you learn to work in harmony with that tremendous force of nature. Doing this allows you to very easily move to where you want to be and to effortlessly ride those waves. Now we do this by learning the language of the unconscious and communicating with it. We accept the fact that we're not always going to know and really understand what's going on on a rational level, but we can trust that the 95% of our intelligence is going to guide us through life safely. Today, I'm gonna to introduce you to two symbols in particular, and we have more to come in future episodes, but I'm gonna start with these two because they've been on my mind for a long time now. I, I first kind of had this epiphany last year sometimes, and I was wondering if I should make an episode on it, and I kind of just decided to go ahead and do it. But I believe that they're a great way of helping you get in touch with the godly power existing below the level of your awareness. And I'll give you a crash course in symbolism so that you can start to see how powerful they are. So what we're gonna start with today are two symbols that come from the Scandinavian runic alphabet. Now these symbols are obviously a written language, but each character is also a representation of various aspects of esoteric knowledge. They can be used to communicate spoken language and also as a powerful tool of meditation. These symbols communicate directly with the unconscious mind in the same way as a good story. We may not fully understand what the story is that's being told or like what the meaning behind it is, but we internalize the characters, the morals, the themes and all that good stuff without realizing it. We walk away with the sense that we've learned something, even though we can't quite put our finger on what it is. So the two symbols that we're gonna be looking at are Logas and Perthro. 
Now, I recommend that you take a look at my Instagram page, which is jackgray underscore psychology hacks. Um, I'm going to post some pictures of what these rooms look like. It's going to be my artwork of these rooms. I actually made an entire page dedicated to my mystical artwork, but my ex figured out my password and locked me out of it. So thank goodness she didn't get a hold of my podcast page, though. Um, I did manage to change the password as she was trying to get in there. But anyway, let's go ahead and talk about these symbols. I don't have time to go into exhaustive detail about them, but I think that a crash course will serve our purposes just fine. If you'd like to see more of this content, let me know for sure. I'd be happy to go into more depth. But the first is Logos. It's the letter L, and its esoteric meaning is water. It symbolizes a reed standing and poking up out of the water to be specific. In any mystical tradition, water symbolizes the unconscious mind, emotions, mystery, and power. Just like the changing of tides and the constant motion of the waves is a force of nature, so too is the unconscious mind. It never stops working. It hides untold mysteries in its depths. It is both a giver of life and a bringer of death. Harnessing this element brings tremendous power, and ignorance of its nature leaves us at its mercy. So, Perthrow is the letter P, and it symbolizes a cup turned on its side. There's a few different interpretations of this symbol, but one in particular is that of chance or fate. The reason being that back in the day, they would play dice by using a cup. They would throw the dice in there, shake it up, and cast them out. Now, the cup laying on its side symbolizes the casting of those dice. The dice would fall seemingly at random, and that would make it a game of chance. But the reality of this game, though, is that where the dice fall is not random. The exact placement, the motion of the shaking, the angle that they're being thrown at, all that good stuff, that... it. it that tells the dice exactly where to fall. If you were somehow able to know and to process all of the factors and all of the hidden variables involved, you could always predict the numbers that would turn up. And that processing power is obviously very well beyond the ability of our conscious mind, though. So we see it as fate. We see it as randomness and chance. In truth, however, the falling of those dice is completely a result of cause and effect. Now, where this gets really interesting is when you look at how those symbols relate to each other. Logos symbolizes a reed standing in the water. If you will, go ahead and take a second to create that image in your mind. Go ahead and see that reed standing in the water. Picture it, then start to let your awareness of that image spread out a little bit. And tell me what you see. Well, you'll probably notice that underneath the reed is its mirror image. It's a reflection, right? That image is an illusion created by the water, but the image is the water. In this way, the reed becomes more than just itself, but also the element that it's growing out of, right? When you see the reed and its reflection together in harmony, that combined image creates the shape of the rune Perthro. If you fold Perthro in half, it collapses back into itself in perfect symmetry. So its logo is reflected on itself. Now, this is really significant. The reed is the conscious mind, like I said. Its reflection is the unconscious mind as symbolized by the water. The unity of the conscious and the unconscious mind are inseparable, and they combine to create the symbol of fate. And what that's saying is that there is no randomness in your life. We may not be able to understand how, but everything that happens is the result of cause and effect. And as Seneca says, all hard times come in obedience to natural laws. Chance is an illusion created by our very limited powers of cognition. In reality, our lives are shaped by unconscious forces. Just like the reed is small, but its reflection is part of a great and much more powerful body of water, so too our conscious mind is only a fraction of who we are and the force of our personality. 
But without the read, there's no reflection, right? Our conscious choices and thoughts give shape and meaning to the vast reflective element of the unconscious. Meditating on those symbols creates a shift in awareness. We start to realize and understand something in the depths of the water, something that, that escapes our rational mind, all right? Epiphanies come in flashes of understanding. They're always a feeling of insight. This is because the depths of our mind are just as impenetrable as that of the ocean. So knowledge of one corner of the ocean does not imply knowledge of another. The currents and the environment, they, they may be part of the same system, but they're not necessarily working together. The process of exploring yourself is never ending. It does, however, start with an understanding of conscious expression. What is it that you want to reflect back onto the world? What is it that you want to create? Learn to speak the language of symbols and you will be able to get past the surface level of being. Communicate with that force inside of you and you're gonna be able to influence the falling of the dice. It's not randomness that happens, it's a law of cause and effect. It's just that so much of the cause is unconscious. We don't understand why we do what we do because we're only looking at it through the lens of the rational conscious mind. We have to get past that. We have to become part of the reflection. We have to become the body of water itself. And we communicate with that part of ourselves through these symbols, right? That sense of randomness disappears. You begin to recognize fate, quote unquote, as nothing more than that law of cause and effect. What's more, you become the cause instead of existing as a victim of effect. This is why symbols are so important. They unlock the wisdom hidden under the waves. The reed cannot hope to penetrate into those depths. Instead, it has to intuit its connection to the water through its own reflection. In doing so, it becomes integrated back into the whole picture. The reintegration of the conscious and unconscious mind puts us in tune with the ocean of awareness. It lets us tap into the collective unconscious and restores us from the fall of mankind. Now, learning the language of the unconscious is the first step towards this wisdom. And hopefully, if you follow my show, you've started to get a sense for how to do this. If you're still struggling, though, don't worry. It's a process, and I'll be talking about it in depth for a pretty good while. So thank you for listening, guys. Good luck. Reach out to me if you have any questions.